Welcome back to Curious Combinations, and everything's an original podcast. I'm AF Tanith, and today I'm covering Umbrella Academy Season 3, Episode 3. I told you guys that was Harlan. And, bonus, he killed Jamie and Alfonso, so I'm pretty thrilled to see him. Also, he talks a little bit now. This is going to be fun. So, our episode opens with a Temps Commission lesson about temporal paradoxes. Apparently, the Commission has been working since its inception to prevent any grandfather paradoxes from ever happening, because grandfather paradoxes have the fun side effect of potentially tearing the fabric of the universe itself apart. But their strategic violence simply hasn't been enough. The Umbrella Academy thwarted them, survived their assassination attempts, and now have their very own series of paradoxes threatening to destroy space-time. It sounds like the Handler should have tried a little bit fucking harder, huh? So, after hooking up with his sister in the previous episode, Luther dances triumphantly through the town. It's the opposite of a walk of shame, save the part about Luther being extremely awkward about trying to buy condoms. And then the thing in the basement surges again, and I don't know if Luther actually felt the energy wave this time, but he definitely noticed the abrupt disappearance of the salesman whose shit he promptly steals. Back at the Obsidian, the siblings are discussing the animal disappearances, and Allison is lashing out in all the wrong directions, while Five is being distinctly unhelpful in comforting her. He heads off to talk to Lila to see if she's got any ideas, and Luther arrives to announce that he was held captive by the Sparrows. Given that he wasn't really treated all that badly, it doesn't sting quite so bad that no one noticed his absence, at least not compared to what happened to Klaus in Season 1. And boy does Luther take his sweet time getting to the point. He breaks the news about the Marcus thing and the disappearing people. And then everyone else breaks the other news to him. Victor has socially transitioned, and Diego has a half-grown son. As for Five and Lila, maybe it's leftover vibes from the weirdness that existed between Five and the Handler, but there's a tension between these two that does not go unnoticed by either myself or the narrative. Even Diego is picking up on the weirdness, and I really don't know how I feel about that. Five's actor is over 18 now, sure, but isn't Five supposed to be like 12 or 14 or something like that? And then there's the briefcases. Lila's got hers and she's got fives, and neither of them works because the world's falling apart. They're going to have to put aside their differences and work together to solve this one, which is honestly Five's plotline pretty much every season, isn't it? He has to avert an apocalypse by working together with a hot, mean, and violent commission agent, usually the handler, but now her daughter instead. As for Diego, he appears to be having trouble wrapping his mind around the fact that his life and Lila's really diverged since last season. It's only been a couple of days for him, but for her, it's been over a decade, and there's no indication right now that she's got any interest at all in getting back together with him in any capacity. Unless she's lying. She could be lying. Now, I would like to say right now that I think this they won't is probably going to change to a they will at some point later in the season, because that's just the way TV storytelling works. But hey, if it helps cut down on the flirting between Lila and Five, I am all for it. Downstairs, Allison and Luther and Victor discuss Marcus the Sparrows and the briefcase, and Allison's desperation is overpowering her brain. She's not thinking things through, which isn't surprising. It would honestly be pretty out of character for her to start making good decisions right now. Allison is an extremely driven character, and it's why her particular powers are so dangerous for her and for those around her. She simply doesn't have the strong moral compass necessary to tell her to slow down, think things through, and decide whether or not going after what she wants is really the right move. She is a fundamentally powerful person. She knows what she wants, and she goes after it. And it gets her into trouble time and time again. 
just like it's going to soon with the Sparrows. And as much as I love her relationship with Victor, Victor is not the right person to wrangle his sister. Five is the only one who can stand his own against Allison, but he simply doesn't have the motivation right now. Five is not an observant person. He is not picking up on what Allison is feeling and what it's going to make her do. Allison is far from the forefront of his thoughts right now, and so he's not there to stop her from making really bad decisions. And Victor... Well, Victor simply hasn't yet worked up the backbone to stand up to his sister. So off the two of them go, Victor and Allison, leaving Luther behind because he clearly can't be trusted around the Sparrows. Back at Edgelord Central, excuse me, I mean the Sparrow Academy, Faye and Ben are having a tense conversation about who should be the new number one. Apparently Ben, quote, had his chance once, which I know is supposed to be a hint toward backstory that I'm sure we're going to be getting sooner or later. It's just that I don't give a fuck. I don't care about these characters, literally at all, and I honestly wish that Harlan had managed to wipe them all out in this episode instead of just deep-frying two of them. Alas. As for Marcus, Grace tries to tell the Sparrows what happened to him, but they don't believe her for a second. I can't pretend I particularly blame them, though. Her perception of the situation is that, quote, God is in the basement and he took Marcus home. And of course that sounds like absolute word salad to them, but... I don't know, if your entire thing is that you guys are wasting your whole lives on self-congratulatory superheroics, surely you could at least send a fucking raven down into the basement real quick to check on shit, right? Like, for all you guys know, that was Grace's way of trying to tell you that Marcus's corpse is rotting away down there. But no. Ben is too busy scheming to actually think, and I wonder if we're going to see an actual fight between him and Faye later in the season? It seems like the show is setting up backstory exploration and a fight in the future, and... Honestly, if we could just go ahead and skip that, I think I'll be good. Back at the Obsidian, Klaus is on his way out, right as Harlan is on his way in. We don't yet know for sure that this is Harlan, of course, and we don't yet know where Klaus is going. And the less said about what Klaus is planning to do, the better. Klaus, after all, is a character who truly has no shame. He is a man not remotely concerned with his pride or even really his own well-being, and I just... I don't even know what to say about that. So let's move on. Ben and Faye meet with Victor and Allison, and it goes badly. First, let's mention Ben's awful laugh. It's the single fakest laugh I think I've ever heard, and it's the kind of acting I would expect from like a truly atrocious anime dub or something, and it just makes my head hurt. Who allowed this? Who let this happen? What on earth is going on? Anyway, Victor and Allison are, regretfully, not on the same page about what they're trying to do here. Victor wants to go for a whole honesty is the best policy kind of thing, and I don't know if that would have worked, but I do know that Allison's tell whatever lies necessary to get what I want approach isn't the right way to go about this. Though perhaps Harlan's interference renders that a moot point. Back at the Obsidian, Diego is being an awful father. He sends his kid loose into the city with eight bucks in his pocket, even after Stanley explicitly tells him that everyone is always trying to get rid of him. The poor kid is mimicking Diego's movements and trying to connect, and it's all very sad. I still don't know for sure how suspicious I am or how suspicious I should be of this kid. That ear shit from the previous episode still hasn't been resolved to my liking. But I feel bad for the little guy, even if he turns out to be, you know, not actually Diego's son. He's clearly lonely, he clearly wants to bond, and Diego is clearly not emotionally equipped to be a dad right now. It's not like it's unrealistic or unusual or anything like that, but that doesn't make it any less sad. 
Klaus, meanwhile, is sneaking into the academy in the worst way possible. He goes to confront Reginald about the deaths of Rachel and the other moms, and I'm still not buying Reginald's woe is me, I'm so beaten down by my children thing. Alfonso and Jamie appear to be forcing him to swallow pills and sign paperwork under threat of being tortured by Christopher, whose powers are apparently akin to the Cruciatus curse, but I've gotta repeat, I'm not buying this shit. Maybe that will change if I find out what's supposed to be in these pills, but right now, I'm not even sure that I buy human medication working on this guy at all. He's not even human. Why would it work? But downstairs, Ben and Faye go looking for the briefcase and instead find Grace with the so-called deity. They finally realize what happened to Marcus, that he was killed by this swirling vortex of molten something. But Grace's confirmation that this thing appeared at the same time as the Umbrellas confirms for the Sparrows that the Umbrellas must have used this thing to kill Marcus and that they're lying about it for some reason. And then there's Five and Lila. They're trying to jumpstart the briefcases with the help of Five's own powers, but it's not really working. Not yet, anyway. Not until they realize that Five is not the only one between them who can jump through time. Not so long as Lila is close by. At the Academy, Klaus and Reginald are kind of bonding, except, again, I don't fucking buy it. Especially when one considers that weird line about how, quote, no one ever comes to visit anymore. That's just generic old man woe is me bullshits. Who the fuck am I supposed to think isn't visiting Reginald? That line is normally about the elderly being neglected by their children, except all of his kids fucking live with him. He's putting on an act, I all but guarantee it. And I am going to be hella fucking pissed if that turns out not to be true. Again, I do not buy sad boy Reginald for a single fucking instant. As for Klaus, there is real pain buried under the bizarre metaphors. He's coping with the loss of a lot at once. Not only has he lost Ben, who has been with him for, what, 20 years as a ghost, and the man he fell in love with back in the first season, he's also now lost his bio-mom before he even got a chance to meet her, and he's lost his whole original life on top of that. He still has the rest of the Umbrella siblings, sure, but they're not exactly an especially emotionally intelligent bunch. They can't even keep track of where everybody is, let alone what everyone is going through, and regardless of how much I love all of his siblings, they're not really going to be there for him. Not like Ben was, not like Dave was, and not like he wishes his mom could have been. Which is exactly why he's having this heart-to-heart -heart with Reginald, of all people. You know you've hit rock bottom when you're trying to get Reginald goddamn Hargreaves to offer you emotional support. So next, as we head back to the Obsidian, we find Diego and Luther having a very meta argument over how to handle Victor's coming out. Do we make a big deal out of it, or do we just treat it matter-of-factly and move on without much fanfare? It's a fun kind of way to address the issue without actually answering the question for real. There isn't really a right answer except to do what Victor actually wants, but Victor is a fictional character whose decisions are dictated by the writers, so do what Victor wants isn't quite the easy answer that it might sound like, not from a writing perspective at least. All in all, though, I'd say I'm still pretty satisfied with the way that this is being handled this season, and I hope the way the show did this served to make Elliot feel affirmed and welcome and loved. But back to Reginald's suspicious ass. He's asleep, supposedly, and very deliberately sleep-muttering the word oblivion, and I do not for a single second believe that this old man is not both awake and acting deliberately. That shit is a clue, and it's a clue that he wants Klaus to have, and I am not fooled. But oh boy, will I feel like a dipshit if it turns out that I'm wrong here. Klaus, though, before he can do anything with this potential tidbit of information, he hears Grace singing and lets her voice lure him down into the basement. He's tickled by the so-called god when first he sees it, but then Grace comes up behind him, her voice deep and grave as she worships, and then she starts speaking in tongues and practically convulsing, and that surely cannot be good. Meanwhile, Lila and Five finally make it to the commission, except we've never seen the building in the midst of a blizzard before, not as far as I can recall, and I feel that too bodes ill. 
Back at the Obsidian, Allison and Victor meet back up with Diego and Luther to wait for the sparrows. And then there they all are, in slow motion for some reason. And I suppose this whole thing goes about as well as could be expected. Luther is too stupid to realize that Sloane is trying to tell him to run. Allison is posturing like an absolute idiot. Ben isn't interested in a deal anymore. And Stanley sets the whole damn place on fire. Harlan heads down to help as soon as the sparrows prepare to attack. Diego gets Stan to safety as Chris takes everyone down, and Ben orders the sparrows to move in for the kill. But the only ones dying here are Alfonso and Jamie, because Harlan's got even more powers than we realized. Faye and Ben and Christopher flee, leaving their dead siblings' corpses and the unconscious but alive Sloane. And when the umbrellas recover from the shock, they all turn to their rescuer. And Victor, of course, recognizes Harlan immediately. Thank fucking goodness, because I was sick of waiting for that obvious twist to drop. So... I'm very intrigued by Harlan's abilities, and I've got a whole theory that I've talked a bit about in my reaction videos. The gist is this. I think that thing in the basement is the origin of the family's powers. I might be right. I might be wrong. That's what I think right now. In a certain sense, I think Grace is kind of right. I certainly wouldn't go so far as to say that this is something to be worshipped, no, but I think it's very deity-adjacent in the sense of having immense power, interfering in the affairs of mortals, and altering reality itself. Assuming that it's not genuinely something created by the Umbrellas, a manifestation of the effects of their grandfather paradox, perhaps, then I would wager that it's the thing that created them. Grace says that it's talking, which implies that it's sentient, which implies that it has motivation and intent. And its powers, such as they are, look a hell of a lot like Victor's. And what do we know about Victor's abilities? Honestly, not terribly much. He does all kinds of shits. He exploded the goddamn moon in season one, and last season he not only seemingly brought Harlan back to life, but gave the kid powers of his own. Powers that he has even now, 50 years after Victor supposedly removed them from him during last season's finale. And Harlan... Harlan's powers are every bit as versatile as Victor's seem to be. We've seen Harlan levitating shit, making ice, and now killing people with some kind of a fiery shockwave, and I think there's something very important buried in there somewhere. Victor, Harlan, and that thing in the basement all have pretty similar abilities, including, I suspect, the ability to give abilities to others. And I'm deeply suspicious of what the hell that means. Again, I've got to wonder, how close am I to the truth? Is this where the powers came from? Could this thing have something to do with whatever happened to Reginald's world, or with why Reginald is here and now on Earth? Is this the culmination of an incredibly long game on Reginald's part, or am I really supposed to believe that he's no longer the manipulative extremist that he once was? Because right now, well, I have a sneaking suspicion that the thing in the basement is the real apocalypse that Reginald has been preparing for all along. Forget about Victor and the Moon, and forget about Soviet Russia. I think in the show's continuity, this is the thing that Reginald has been waiting for, the reason he adopted and abused all of these kids. And if I'm wildly off base with my guessing right now, well, then I hardly know what to think. So, that was my coverage of episode three. We are three episodes down, seven more to go. Lots of room for this story to take many wild twists and turns. I, I don't know where we're going with this. I really don't. Um... You know, if there was like two episodes left, I would say, yep, I've got it all figured out. We're going to, you know, somehow figure out how to take down this weird thing in the basement in another episode or two. We're going to take out the sparrows and we're going to somehow probably not fix things this season, but we're going to set up a next season in which we fix the timeline somehow. But instead, we have seven episodes. Seven episodes is so much time. Seven episodes of 50 minutes each is more than enough time to do all kinds of wacky shits. Just this show has been historically wild. There is ample opportunity for them to do something 
wild now. With almost six hours of content left, how are they going to fill six hours? I don't know. So I'm definitely really looking forward to finding out. Like I've said before, even if this plot line doesn't turn out to be the greatest, and I'm really enjoying it so far, but even if it doesn't turn out to be the greatest, I'm still going to be very pleased with this season, unless it does something egregiously awful, just by virtue of the fact that I get to see my buddies. I love these siblings. Um, even at their worst, they're still endearing as a unit um, individually. Some of them, you know, really get on your nerves at times, but as a unit, they're very delightful. I love each and every one of them. I'm at the point where, like, the more annoying ones, Allison can be annoying, Luther can be annoying, Diego can be very annoying. I didn't like a lot of them in the first season, but I'm at the point right now where I, I think I genuinely love all of them. I just want to see them do literally anything. Like, this batch of idiots could do a cooking show, and I would still probably tune in every now and then and be like, okay, what are they up to? Okay, okay, okay. I love the vibe. I love the energy. Okay, thank you. I don't need the plot lines to be perfect, to be perfectly honest. Once a, once a show has managed to appeal to me very specifically in its characters, at least on initial viewing experience, I'm going to be delighted as long as nothing, you know, egregiously out of character or, I don't know, something that feels like vindictive toward the audience. As long as nothing horrible happens, I'm going to be on board. Maybe in retrospect, upon rewatching, that will change. But right now, I love all of these people I don't care what the hell they get up to. I'm just delighted to have them on screen and I'm really enjoying myself and I expect to continue to enjoy myself for the next seven episodes. So as I record this, I'm getting ready to sit down and watch episode four. I am planning to watch one episode per day for the rest of this week. I'm recording this on a Monday. It is the 27th as I record this. And the final two episodes of Stranger Things season four are going to be released on Friday. So, I'm going to be watching episode four today, five tomorrow, six on Wednesday, and seven on Thursday. And then I'm going to do Stranger Things for two days, the Friday and the Monday, and then I'll get back to Umbrella Academy. So if you are signed up for the $10 Patreon tier in which you get reaction videos as soon as they're filmed, those will be available to you on those days. Um, if you are not on that tier, you probably won't really notice the change. Um, but that's how I'm going to be doing this. So if I come back to like episode eight and I sound a little tiny bit out of the loop, like I might have forgotten little tiny things, that, that'll be what happened there. Um, but all in all, I feel very spoiled by the release of Umbrella Academy Season 3 and Stranger Things Season 4, like, right around the same time. I am very delighted, um, like, seeing all my old friends again. Very fun. I'm having a ton of fun. And I hope that you are having at least a tiny bit of fun listening to this podcast. As always, I want to thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in the Patreon, there are $1, $5, and $10 tiers currently. If there are other perks or price points that you would be interested in seeing over on the Patreon, please let me know. Other than that, go explore what is available over there. Alternately, leave a rating or a review for the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And beyond that, I just hope you keep listening as I continue to cover Umbrella Academy and many more things in the future. As always, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you join me again next week when I cover Umbrella Academy Season 3, Episode 4.